Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our study of God's Word. Now, on today's podcast, we're taking a break from our Philippians study as I have the opportunity to share about Jesus. We're looking at Jesus has power over life and death, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We'd love to have you as we worship on Sunday mornings at 1030. There are people who just want to express their love and share as we grow closer and we grow in our faith. So let me encourage you, check us out at www.calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. You can email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Again, we would love the opportunity to connect with you and your family. So we'd love to see you. Let me invite you to join us. Now, as we get back to our message, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 8. So be sure and turn with us as we look at this idea that Jesus has power over life and death. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's probably one close by. We keep several in the pew racks. And if you don't have a Bible, that Bible is yours. Consider that a gift from us. We know how valuable the Word of God is here at Calvary. This morning, a last-minute change at about 8.30, Pastor Kirk called. and Well, actually, he didn't call. Um, he's not feeling good enough to call. And so, Miss Tony made that call, and he hates to do that. He loves preaching the Word. And so, uh, they asked if I would fill in this morning. You know, they, they say, as an associate pastor, as a youth pastor, you need to have a sermon in your back pocket all the time. Well, I've used up my back pocket sermon, so uh, the last couple of Wednesday nights, we have been working our way through some concepts of understanding who Jesus is and what he has power over. And so we are looking at the next message in that little series as we talk about how Jesus has power over life and death. And so as we look at Luke 8, 41 through 48, I want us to understand this big truth that Jesus has the ultimate power over life and death. No matter what you're going through, whatever difficulty, whatever illness you're facing, whatever uh, diagnosis that you've received along the way, God is the one who's in control. I've heard yeses from God saying, here's the answer to your prayer. I've seen that, experienced that. But I've also heard the no's from God to where I've experienced that. But ultimately, I trust him because God is the one in control. So over the last past, uh, the past couple of weeks, I had the opportunity to share Wednesday nights. Two weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, where Jesus calmed the storm. In that passage, Jesus showed his disciples that he had power over nature. He placed his disciples in the midst of a physical storm and showed them that he had the ultimate control. 
And like those disciples, we often find ourselves in the midst of the storm, not sure of what to do. But the one thing we know that we need to do is to trust God in those moments, to look to him for help, to look to him for answers, and to lean on him. He created us. He loved us. He cared enough to send Jesus in the world to die for us. He is going to take care of our needs. He's going to be there in those moments. And again, our answers aren't always going to be yes or maybe what we want to hear, but God is going to take care of us. This past Wednesday, we looked at Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And there Jesus took a man and changed him forever by driving out the demons named Legion into a herd of pigs. Now, this man was running around in a graveyard naked. Just a strange picture for us to envision. We would, this man would have probably been in prison in this day or been in an insane asylum, uh, but he was running around in a graveyard, and Jesus intervened, showed his power to his disciples. This time it was spiritual in nature. The disciples learned that Jesus had the ability to impact not just the physical world, but the spiritual as well. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at Jesus and his power over sickness and death. And so as we look at our passage this morning, Luke chapter 8, verses 41 through 56, uh, we're going to cover really what are two stories, or you may have seen it divided out that way, but it all fits together as we look at Jesus having power over life and death. Beginning in verse, well, we'll begin in verse 40. There it says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the child. And they're all weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one 
what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for this time when we can come together, look at your word, and understand better of who you are, how you love us, and who Jesus is and should be in our lives. I just ask in these next few moments that we learn to trust you better, that we listen and we obey, no matter what you're calling us to do. Father, work in our hearts today. In Christ, and we pray. Amen. Well, as we study God's Word together today, the big truth that I want us to embrace is that Jesus has power over life and death. This morning, we sang a song that has become one of my favorite songs, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death, from Keith and Kristen Getty and Matt Papa. It says, what is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls belong to him? He holds our days within his hand, what comes apart from his command, and what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life to him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ, our hope in life and death. Now, you've gone through difficulties in your life. You have had people that have been hurting, that have been sick, that you've seen suffering and struggling, and you've tried to figure out what to do next. And sometimes we can get caught in that that trap of worry and fear, not really understanding what we need to do. But God calls us to trust him, to lean on him, to look to him for that hope that we need. There are a few thoughts in this life that are comforting as that. Knowing that whether it is in this life or in the life to come, Christ is our hope. Now, those words may not mean much to you or some of the people in your life, but for those of us who've trusted Christ with our eternal state, there isn't anything better. Jesus overcame the grave. He kept his promises. He did so many things that allow us to trust him. So as time permits this morning, we want to look at two people who placed that type of trust in Jesus. They understood that Jesus was their hope in this life. So as we look back at verses 41, actually beginning a little bit further, um, as we understand that verse 43, there was a woman who had a, had a discharge, a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. That was this woman that Jesus had an encounter with. Now, many of us can have tunnel vision when it comes to ministry. 
I know that I find myself in that trap. Youth pastors, well, youth of worship, what I've done off and on for many years now, we're very task-driven. And when you were a youth pastor, a youth and worship pastor, it was just the cycle. Repeat and go, repeat and go. Summers were all about the students. Fall and the spring were all about Christmas and then Easter. And then it just circled over and over again. And I could get so in my head at times that I would miss ministry opportunities that would be along the way. Somebody's hurting, somebody needs just a hand, needs love, needs care in their life. And I could just walk by it because, well, I've got this to do and I've got to make sure that I get it done. I could find myself in that same place on Sunday mornings. I handle a lot of the it's untangibles, things that are behind the scenes here. And so sometimes I'll be so focused that, that I won't talk to someone, that I know the Spirit's leading me to talk to. Well, many of us can fall into this trap. And I, I'm sure that that's how Jesus' disciples felt as well. They were on their way to help someone, and Jesus stops and says, Someone touched me. They reached uh, out as, as we would. Jesus, there are bunches of people here. And they press in. Of course, someone touched you. Jesus, however, knew that this was different. He knew power had left him. He had to stop, highlight, and teach in that moment. And we can't miss ministry on the way to do things for Jesus. It might be inconvenient. It might be annoying. However, God is an infinite wisdom and love has put you in that place for a purpose, just like he did with Jesus and this woman. Every year we have a um, Fall Fun Fest. We've been doing this now for a few years. We had to take a break because, of course, the pandemic. That stopped everything. But if we're not careful, when we have events on our campus, when we have uh, ministry things that are going on, if we become too focused on those events... We can miss the mark. God calls us to love on people, to minister to the person rather than the people. So God, in his infinite wisdom, orchestrated this meeting, Jesus and this woman. And who was this woman? Well, she was a woman who had suffered for a long time. For 12 years, she had lived with a disorder that marked her unclean from the rest of her community. And while we may be uncomfortable talking about her troubles, the Old Testament was not. It makes it clear what it meant to be this woman and what was going to happen in her life in this Jewish society. Leviticus chapter 15 verses 25 through 27 tells us what this 12 years of bleeding meant for her. Beginning of verse 25 says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall be continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the, de the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean. As in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity, and whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. For 12 years this woman had been set apart. 
She was lonely. She was an outcast from society because of what was happening here. You know, and I had never thought about her loneliness and separation until I watched this past season of The Chosen. If you've seen the episode that focuses in on her, it just kind of rocked my world. Because this woman takes up just a couple of verses. And this is the biblical account of her. We know that this is what Scripture tells us. But they painted a picture of a woman who lived a life of loneliness, of separation. And that's what you read here. For 12 years, this woman was set apart. She wasn't allowed to be a part of normal things, of normal life. This is a woman who had suffered. She had been in pain. She was lonely. But she also believed. Verse 48, Jesus looks at her and says, Daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Two things to note here. Number one, God had given her the faith to move her towards Jesus. She acted on that faith and received healing. This healing was going to change her life forever. She'd be a part of community again. She'd be a part of family. She'd have an opportunity to be with people, and we need people. God has created us for community. The second thing that we note here is that Jesus called her daughter. For a woman who had been alone and living on the fringe of society, here was someone calling her a family member. And I can only imagine how her heart would swell with joy knowing here was somebody speaking to her, calling her family. That's what it's like when we receive Christ. You know, we have talked about our faith family here. Calvary is our faith family. And there are many of us that have more in common with our faith family than our biological family. There's a need for us to be connected with our faith family. And that's a part of what's happening. When we've received Christ, when we join our faith family, we have people who are there who love us, who care about us, who receive us and accept us. They may not always do that in your biological family. But here, Jesus called this woman daughter. Now, I know that many of you may ask, why hasn't God done the same with us or with our family members? You know, why, why is my son still dealing with Crohn's? I prayed hard. I believe that God could heal him. I don't have an answer for that. But why hasn't God done the same? If he has power over sickness and death, why doesn't he show that? That's a hard question to answer. While God doesn't always answer the way that we want, I'm convinced that he still does show that power, and he does. And we're able to celebrate that, rejoice in that, and share even years and years later. My dad had a brain tumor in 1996. Um, it's a scary thing. All of a sudden, he has a horrible, let's see, this side, he had a horrible pain in his head, and we're thinking, oh, well, this, is, this could be the end. I mean, 96, that was still, he had much living to do. <laughs> The surgery is supposed to take three to four hours. 
But in God's power, the surgery only took 45 minutes. The tumor basically flaked out when they went in. It was gone. God showed his power so that we might share God's power, rejoice in that power. My mom has experienced, she has Crohn's as well, and there was a time when she was diagnosed with an abscess, and we, it was a hard situation, knowing that she might have to have surgery. We called on our friends, called on our churches, and prayed. The next day, when the doctor came back in, they said, well, looks like we read that wrong. You don't have an abscess. Well, we know what happened. God did what God does. He showed his power. He does that. But in all of those, in those situations, the situation with my son, whatever the difficulty is, whatever the problem is, we must trust God. Does he heal still? Yes. Does he always heal? No. That is hard for us to accept. But we must understand that God is ultimately in control. Paul himself dealt with a physical malady for much of his ministry that God never took away. It was something he had to deal with. He trusted God and God used him in great and mighty ways. We do not know why he healed this woman at this time. Um, actually, we do. One very simple reason. He was showing his disciples that he had power over sickness. Our responsibility is to trust him even when it's hard and to place our ultimate hope in him for this life. And that is hard. I know it's hard. But God is the one who provides comfort. He provides for our needs, and we can trust him even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. That's what God has called us to do. So we, first person in this, this narrative is this woman. A woman who had suffered, a woman who was lonely, a woman who acted upon the faith that she had been given, and she received healing, and God worked in big ways, and she was now able to be a part of community and life. Her life was forever changed. The other person, we actually start early on in this passage, in verse 41, and there came a man named Jairus, who was ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. And then we go on down to verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And they were all weeping and mourning for her. He said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that he was dead, or that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise, and her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed with something that should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, and he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The second part of our passage pulls us back to where Jesus was headed. Remember, that's where we were at the beginning of the story. He was going to Jairus' home to see about a daughter who was only 12. I think this is interesting. Um, for 12 years, this woman had suffered. For 12 years, this girl had lived. And they pull these stories together, and it's just interesting to know for the, this girl's entire life, this woman had been suffering. 
But when Jesus <coughs> arrived on the scene, they were given news that she was dead. And Jesus offered words of hope to this family. Now, was the girl dead? I believe so. But Jesus didn't want to put on a public display or even show off the power to raise the dead. He simply wanted to minister to the poor and to the rich, showing his disciples that he had power over life and death. Only five people were with Jesus <coughs> as he showed his power. But the laughers and the mockers were soon put in their place when Jesus did the impossible and the young girl rejoined the living. This father was moved to go find Jesus, to get him to come to his family. God has called us, men, to bring Jesus to our families. Are we doing that? Are we leaving that to others? The paid staff, the Sunday school teachers. God has called us to be leaders in our homes and our communities and to share Jesus and to bring Jesus to our family and take our families to Jesus. My hope is that you're doing that. This father was in pain. I can't, well, I, I can imagine my son being sick, my daughter going through the difficulty she did after her mission trip. I understand that sort of pain, but I haven't lost a child. I can't imagine his pain. But I know that Jesus is the great, the great balm to our souls. He is our hope. He is our hope in life and death. So what do we learn from these, three, these passages? Well, number one, that Jesus has power over life and death. He has power over nature. He has power over the spiritual realm. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus, the creator, has full control over his creation. That's what he's showing to his disciples. It's not enough that they understand, as they did in the passages before this, that he could calm a storm, that he could work and show off his spiritual power over supernatural things. Although those were amazing and powerful things, he was working in the hearts and lives of people and of men and women and of children. He cares about people. Jesus has power over life and death. Number two, don't be blind to ministry opportunities as they appear. Jesus could have walked on by with a woman with the discharge of blood, but he didn't. He could have let that healing happen. He, he is, was full of power, but he stopped to teach, to love, to show to do all of those things. So we don't need to be blind to ministry opportunities as they come on the scene. <coughs> it's easy for us to get into that mode. Again, as I said, over much of my ministry, I've been involved with task-driven opportunities. Didn't have much time to think about things or even to open up my eyes enough. But there are people all around us that are hurting. When you go to the grocery store, as you Maybe if you're going through a checkout, which is a rare thing anymore, but if you're going through a checkout, you have an opportunity to talk to people. Or maybe it's the workers who are standing and say, hey, thanks for coming in. Take a moment. Be that, that weirdo that talks to them and to see how God is working in their life. See how you can even pray for them. Do you go out to eat? Many of us do. We sit at a table. 
Maybe you pray for the meal. How many times do you stop and say, hey, we're going to be praying before we eat. Is there something we could pray for you? Now, do I do all of those things? No. I try. I fail. But God calls us to look for those ministry opportunities as they appear. To not be so focused in on what's ahead that we lose sight of where God has put us and what God has placed us with. So, don't be blind to ministry opportunities as they come along. The third thing we know is and uh, understand is that we should know that Jesus wants to work in the lives of the lowest of society and the highest. In the Jewish culture, the ruler of the synagogue was high up on that list. And a woman who was unclean, who had been dealing with this issue of blood, who had been struggling with her life, she was among the lowest. She was on the outskirts. She was on the fringe of society. But in this short passage of Scripture, Jesus works with them both. He loves them both. He cares about them. In our society, Jesus cares about that wider range as well. He cares about your neighbors who maybe are irritating and annoying, who have weird things out on their lawn. He cares about those that have the nicest cars, the nicest home. He cares about everybody in between. Jesus does not discriminate. He's simply looking for men and for women who will trust him in the easy and in the hard times of life. God has given us his word to help us understand his power and his love for us. Our job, our responsibility is to trust him. This woman who had been suffering for 12 years, she trusted that Jesus was the answer. Jairus may not have fully understood at that moment when he went to, to get Jesus, but he knew that that was the answer for his daughter. We need to understand that whatever your difficulty, whatever your struggle, Jesus is that answer. He provides hope, help, and ultimately salvation. So when he says you're a sinner in need of salvation, Jesus is the answer. Have you trusted Jesus with your life? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation? For those that have made that decision, are you trusting him with the life and death situations that we face? I know it's not easy, but with Jesus, we have hope. Too often, we find ourselves stuck, stuck in a place where worry surrounds us. Matthew 6 talks a lot about that. It talks about our need to trust him. If he's going to take care of the birds, if he's going to take care of the flowers, he is going to take care of us. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret. God calls us to trust him. So we trust Jesus for salvation, and we trust him with our lives. And my prayer, my hope today is that you're doing just that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. You are good and holy. We just ask that um, you work in our hearts and lives. Help us to be your people here at Calvary, in our homes, in our workplaces. And Father, help us to, to trust you 
when someone's sick, when someone's hurting, when someone's dying. And God, help us to trust you when, when all things are great. You are holy and you're righteous. And help us to share with others how good you are. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.